0: Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app.
1: This podcast is supported by FedEx.
2: See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.
0: Hey, everybody. We've got a great one today, you know, for a change. Amy Klobuchar. Amy Klobuchar, senior senator from the great state of Minnesota, is uh, with me. And uh, we're going to be talking about her book, Antitrust. And her book Antitrust is about antitrust. She, in this book, does the whole nine yards. We go from Adam Smith and the Wealth of Nations, a warning about monopolies, uh, all the way through, oh, you know, TR and the trustbusters, and then uh, through the whole. 20th century and then where we are today with high tech like uh, Facebook and Amazon and and Google uh, and Apple. So it's a panoramic trip of, of antitrust. And, you know, this was an, an issue that meant a lot to me. I was on the subcommittee that uh, Amy is now a chair of, and I took a lot of interest in uh, telecommunications. I thought that some of our telecommunication Uh, companies were getting too big. When I first got there, I was there only, uh, I don't know, a couple weeks. And uh, Comcast uh, wanted to buy uh, NBC and uh, Universal. And I was against it. And everyone else was kind of okay with it. And I lost. I lost that one. But, 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 I got conditions put on it, you see. And that's that that often happens. So the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission and the FCC, that's their venue and uh you write in and you say, well, you know what? They need to do a few things and part of what I uh put on it was that they needed to help people who couldn't afford uh broadband, who couldn't afford to be connected to do that and they made some promises on that regard. And then a few years later, Comcast wanted to buy Time Warner Cable. I remember Franny, it was about 10 in the evening, and she was on her laptop. I was uh, doing something, reading one of my briefings, and she said, huh, it says here that Comcast wants to buy Time Warner Cable. And I said, what? No, no. They, they would own like, I don't know, like above 60% of all broadband. That's, yeah, that can't be. She said, well, that's what it says. So I call my legal counsel, uh, Josh Riley, and I say to him, uh, Josh, Franny saw something that said <laughs> uh, that Comcast wants to buy Time Warner Cable. And he goes, that, really? That can't, <laughs> you know. So uh, I said, well, let's uh, study it and get a letter out there objecting to it right away. The next day, uh, Josh, who uh, had worked very hard overnight and uh, wrote a letter objecting to this deal, and I tried to get the usual suspects. Uh, These are the senators that uh, generally cared about this stuff and it would be like ron wyden and jeff Merkley and uh, elizabeth warren and markey anyway about four or five other senators who really this was an issue for them tried to get them to sign on in the letter they didn't they did not then we had a hearing a little later and i uh, raised a lot of objections one of which was one of the points that I raised is that they hadn't met their, the conditions we had put on the merger. And I don't know how many of my colleagues understood that, but I I made that clear. But Comcast literally had a hundred lobbyists on Capitol Hill, one for every senator, basically. And they were all over this Comcast. I got a call from, actually from Dick Gephardt, who uh, was doing some lobbying at the time. And He got on the phone with me, said, Al, uh, I'm calling about the Comcast-Time Warner deal. And I went, no. He went, "Okay, Al. (laughs) He knew where I was. So he got off. But they literally, Comcast literally paid lobbyists in D.C. to stay on the sidelines, to not get involved. Because they, they didn't want the other side. And the other side were public interest groups that I was working with. So I kept putting out these letters. We revised it and we asked the same uh, usual suspects to sign on. Nope, 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 nope. Okay, months are going by. Months and months and months. I, I think I put out seven letters. Finally, 17 months into this thing, we're starting to hear from the FCC and the FTC that they don't like this deal. And that's leaking out. And so my... I put out another letter, bam, I get five other senators sign on to it. And it drops on like a Monday, and on Wednesday, one of them uh, comes up to me on the floor, and I won't tell you who it is, but he says, uh, Al, I've gotten a lot of great feedback from the letter that we sent, and and you deserve a lot of credit. And I said, deserve a lot of credit? I I was the only one who was against it. And he said, "Oh, Al, I would take issue with that." And I said, "Okay, but I was the only one who said he was against it. I will grant you that." So. <laughs> Sometimes that was what the sound and the senator I'm talking about did a lot of great, great stuff. And we, we we're very aligned on this. It was just one of these uh, issues that people didn't pay a lot of attention to or didn't pay enough attention to, which was antitrust. And uh, that's why uh, I, I wanted to talk to Amy Klobuchar, who is now chair of of the Antitrust Subcommittee in the Judiciary Committee uh, about her new book, Antitrust. It's a a great one, you know, for a change. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way, and that's with Babbel. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's convenient courses have helped me learn real-life conversation in German. For example, let's say you wanted to order soup with your dinner. Die Suppe würde mir auch gefallen. That means the soup <laughs> that means. That means I would also like the soup. And that way I get soup with dinner. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at Babbel.com slash Franken. Get up to 60% off at Babbel.com slash Franken, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash franken. Rules and restrictions may apply
2: it's three o'clock somewhere time for a my mochi ice cream snack my mochi ice cream is cool creamy scoops of premium ice cream wrapped in sweet pillowy dough and get this You know who you are with the joyfully chill sensation of My Mochi ice cream. Find My Mochi ice cream at Target or visit MyMochi.com to locate a grocery store near you.
0: You have this new book, Antitrust, and it's uh, very comprehensive. Kind of the history of antitrust uh, from Adam Smith, who warned about uh, monopolies um, all the way through Teddy Roosevelt into the present day. And so we got a lot to cover. First, I want to give my uh, my sympathies to you about your dad, uh, Jim Klobuchar, who um, iconic Minnesotan, uh, journalist, beloved, uh, very funny, uh, very great (laughs) journalist. You know, I think you got a lot of your chops from (laughs) your dad.
2: Well, he was a fan of yours too, Al. And, you know, he was someone that came from this hard scrabble mining town of Ely, Minnesota, and uh, went on to a two year community college and then University of Minnesota, where he got his journalism degree and headed out to Bismarck, where he wrote for their paper, and then AP, and then the Star Tribune. The rest is history. He ended up Um, By the time he retired, had written 8,400 columns, not all on sports general, as you know, stories about people and politics. And I really think he saw his role as still taking on the people he'd grown up with in terms of taking on their causes and ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And he would do it with some humor. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was a big part of his life. The other was adventure and covering the Vikings. But the other, which you got right on, was humor and uh, so many funny pictures and stories of him.
0: Most of my <laughs> listeners are not from Minnesota. But if you're if, if from Minnesota and you're listening, we're, we're, we're just going to miss him, him around. I know he was failing, and, uh, but um, I, I, I'm sorry for not just your loss, but all of our, our loss.
2: Well, you know, he to the end he was uh, singing songs and telling funny stories and few irreverent things here and there, Um, but I I, can uh, imagine. Yes, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. I remember that story you would always tell about how when we were, when my family would campaign with me, remember? And that when you went somewhere as a uh, new candidate for Senate, that if I was there, maybe I would be there. And then if I wasn't there, my husband, John, would be there. I won't do this justice, of course. Mm-hmm. And if John wasn't <laughs> there, then my dad was there. And that if my dad wasn't there, you would say to yourself, why am I here? Yes. (laughs) That was, that's,
0: you did it justice. I did okay. I'm
2: no Al Franken storyteller. I do my best.
0: Well, um, (laughs) okay. Let's talk about this. And I'm going to just pick some stuff uh, to talk about because we can't cover the whole scope of the book, which is, again, uh, quite uh, huge. Let's start with big tech. Um, mm-hmm. might as well start somewhere, and let's start with a Facebook and uh, the consent decree that they violated by what they did with Cambridge Analytica, giving their, you know, the personal information of how many millions of their
2: exactly millions and millions of people who just uh, had no idea that they had reached this contract with. Cambridge Analytica, uh, that just allowed them to basically take their information and use it, which we knew was then made its way into politics and political campaigns and uh, foreign government involvement and you name it. And I mean, that's just one example. And you were such an advocate for privacy when you were in the Senate. And I think that one of the arguments here is when you have companies that are that big, um, that literally control entire platforms. And every time a new one comes along, like Instagram or WhatsApp, what do they do? They suck them up. They buy mm-hmm. them. Mark Zuckerberg himself said he'd rather buy than compete in an email that uh, David Cicilline discovered. And when that happens, you don't have competitors that develop the bells and whistles for privacy. Maybe there wouldn't have been a Cambridge Analytica contract if you would have had more competitors to Facebook. But they became... And are so all-powerful uh, that you have a situation where you're only dealing with one company. And best example, when they and Google decide, well, you know, Australia is trying to charge us for content from news providers. We don't want to do that. So they threatened to leave an entire industrialized nation. There was so much pushback internationally, they ended up not doing it. But it just gives you a sense well, of Well, that's the another issue
0: with those big platforms is basically making these newspapers not get paid <laughs> for their content yes. and uh i i really wonder it was the ftc who had the consent decree with facebook right was it the ftc mm-hmm. and yeah. and they they violated the consent decree big time mm-hmm. with came and they Analytica. only got
2: a five billion
3: that's
0: fine. what i wanted to ask you about why why not a $100 billion or, hey, $500 billion? I mean, they had them. They violated their consent decree. Mm-hmm. Their consent decree is we won't do this kind of thing. And then they did it
2: <laughs> right? with 87 million Facebook users having their privacy violated. So they did it. They get the and that was an agreement that had been made before they violated. It. And it's one of the reasons I think that you need to change the laws. Like you have to have an ability um, to have, of course, more civil fines. And by the way, they could have done more civil fines. Europe did much bigger fines. Europe is uh, against much these stronger companies. on all this stuff. Right. And so I think that is one way. And this is a way of doing things. Yes, we want to change the legislation to make it stronger, but we also want to get the agencies to do more. And some of this, they need the resources. They're a shadow of their former selves. Even under um, Reagan, they were bigger, had more employees, significantly more employees. And now uh, they need the resources to take on the biggest companies the world has ever known. And then they need some uh, will to assess these fines that are much bigger because I think that creates such a disincentive for misbehavior. These companies are so huge that major, major big fines will do it. Do you know that face? I know you know this, but Facebook shares went up when this fine was assessed. Oh, yeah.
0: As because, oh, thought. it's only $5 billion. <laughs> well, that you can find that in Zuckerberg's couch. <laughs> um, you know, uh, let me ask you uh, about Amazon and monopsony. Mm -hmm. You hear that word more and more, and people don't know what it means, I think, when they hear it. And basically, um, instead of having a monopoly in selling stuff, a monopsony
2: is a monopoly kind of in buying stuff, right? Exactly. And people – you don't – it's not really intuitive because you can have – you know, you can have uh, monopolies where let's just pretend Coke and Pepsi merged, right? And then there's the two biggest brands are one. Or when T-Mobile and Sprint merge, and then you only have three instead of four competitors. That kind of makes sense. You have le- the the people that you're selling to, you've got less choices. But a monopsony is where you've got a buyer. In the case of Amazon, is the ultimate example. You've got a buyer and everyone has to sell to the same buyer. And if you don't sell to that buyer, you are in trouble because your stuff isn't going to appear. And so that is one of the proposals I make under the law is to make it easier uh, to bring those kind of cases because, you know, we didn't have things quite like this when the Sherman Act was adopted back in the late 1800s.
0: And boy, oh boy, they have abused this. Uh, Books, you know, if you're going to... So, but publishers have to just cave to whatever Amazon deal they want because Amazon sells like 90% of uh, electronic books, right? Kindle
1: mm-hmm.
0: and uh, 50% of just books. Also, you know about diapers, right? <laughs> yeah. Tell them about diapers. Why don't you tell
2: me, though? You-
0: <laughs> well, okay. The, the, the Basically, uh, somebody, uh, some company was selling diapers through. Amazon, and Amazon looked at their business and looked at the data and went like, why don't we sell our diapers? <laughs> and they okay, did. Okay,
2: that's interesting. Exactly. That's like self-preferencing. They create their own products, right? That's what they did. Um, and, yeah. And so that is part of, and just to get back to the original point that you made, Amazon has 2.3 million active sellers, right? Think of that. And a recent survey estimates that about 37% of them, about 850000 rely on Amazon as their sole source of income. So there's your monopsony issue. But then the second piece of this is when they self-preference their own stuff. And you can also see this with Google, right? And so you could, and this was, I remember your uh, incredible involvement um, with the NBC, Comcast issues and the like, you can put NBC Time Warner, which was ultimately rejected. Why? Yeah, it was Comcast because, Time Warner. Yeah, I'm sorry, Comcast that, Time that's Warner. That's fine. Yeah, I, yeah. But they, no, 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 but you were you were way out front. Time ahead. Warner
0: cable, but, so I want to make, that clear. OK, not, exactly.
2: Yeah. So but what that was about, of course, and what we're still seeing now with some of these issues is conditions were put on those deals. But then even up to 2018, you've got people saying these conditions aren't working. That happened with the cable industry. They filed something. And so the when it comes to Amazon and all of this kind of stuff, you can put conditions on this and say you cannot self-preference your stuff. But I think part of this is making sure those conditions are enforced. And that's why I make the argument in this book that you've got to make it easier to look back at what we call exclusionary conduct. It's easier to understand than some of this stuff because it just means you can't exclude other competitors and that you've got to make that a bigger part. Because if you just look forward and change the merger standards, that's good. But you've also got to be able to look backwards like they did when they broke up AT&T under several presidents, Democrats and Republicans. It was a big, big project. And it worked. It worked and was actually good
0: for AT&T in the
2: end. It was good for AT&T. They said, as I note in the book, the former chairman said it made them a stronger company. But with all the complexity of these markets, we need to make it even easier to look back at these deals and what the standards are. Um, for this exclusionary conduct.
0: Speaking of uh, like Comcast, you know, I was against Comcast, NBC, Universal, that one, and I lost on mm-hmm. that one. I was against Comcast, Time Warner Cable. The big issue on Com- for me on Comcast, Time Warner Cable is that they would have had over sixty percent of broadband. Right, because
2: it's two cable companies and then they control those customers, right? 60% of high speed broadband customers. So you don't, and I think it was even higher in some markets, lower in others. Yeah. And so you don't have that competition, which was a point that you made well. A
0: couple of funny stories about that. So Jeff Zucker, uh, who was a president of NBC at the time, comes to visit me right at the beginning of Comcast, NBC, Universal, right before their hearings and stuff. And he says to me, he's in my office, and he said, this would be good for Lorne.
2: Oh, SNL.
0: Yeah, because they're NBC. So I go like, you know, I don't represent Lorne. (laughs) I I represent the people of Minnesota. Anyway, so I was kind of tough on them. And I knew a lot about, uh, of course, uh, programming. And I knew more about this stuff probably than anyone on the committee because I worked at NBC. And I worked in show business, and I, I was against this thing. But uh, Zucker, at one point, in the middle of all this, said to me, you know, you're right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he said, don't tell anyone until it's over. And I went, okay, I well. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think – and I think what
2: the Justice Department there talked about with the Time Warner deal was that, you know, you literally have a pipeline. You got to think of it as that last mile to those customers and that they don't have a choice. And it gives one entity this leverage in dealing with the providers. And I think I know and you knew from – our time working on this, is that the providers would come to us and say, look, I'm going to have no one to negotiate with. There's only one company. And these are content providers, um, uh, African-American shows, different things that were really important to get out to people. And they didn't have any power to negotiate with anyone. Yeah, I
0: had like a a tennis channel saying this is going (laughs) to really screw us. I had Netflix. Right. Uh, there were a lot of these uh, programs and you know you talk about in the the book about lobbyists right Mm -hmm. on this Comcast had so many lobbyists but they also and I won't say who it was but you know who this person is I'll tell you later who was paid by them to stay on the sidelines and not lobby the other side (laughs) (laughs) so beyond just having a hundred lobbyists one for every senator they actually took people off the playing field by paying them not mm-hmm. to do anything
2: well, I think part of this is just the whole idea of monopolies in in the book, I go way back, like to Adam Smith, you know the father of capitalism, who warned while well, he was you know Mr. Invisible Hand, he warned about what he called the standing army of monopolies and that they would control and this was true way back during the Gilded Age with the steel trust and the beef trust they would not just Control the economy around them and who the workers could work for and stifle wages because there 's no one choice to go to. they start then because they have so much there 's these gateways to every product today you know search engines and the like. they also control. The government because they have so many lobbyists and they can control the courts because of who gets on there and then decisions keep going their way and it's been this problem that we've seen. There's this incredible cartoon. I have over a hundred cartoons in the book, uh, trying to make this somewhat understandable to people. And there's a cartoon that's very famous of these huge trusts, these bloated trusts that look like people hanging over the then non-elected Senate appointed by basically, they were each, many of them were owned by different industries, looking down at them from their purchase and controlling what they did. And now, not every senator is like that. We know that. Um, But we know that there is major control uh, in terms of money and politics. And so you can't really separate out the two um, when you talk about monopolies.
0: Well, some of your proposals involve legislation. And of course, As long as we have uh, the filibuster as it stands now, some of that isn't in the cards. Pharma, Mm
1: -hmm. uh,
0: you've been very involved in the space. Uh, I was. Have I told you my... uh, Okay, I'm going to just give you a real... No, I want to hear it. Okay, here it is. So we're one of only two countries that allow pharmaceuticals to advertise on TV and also allow the pharmaceuticals to take a deduction and if you w- watch those ads at least half the ad is the announcer saying the negative side effects yeah right and
2: where i get very squeamish and I hear all this stuff, I'm like, oh. But but, yes. but
0: but most people at a certain point you're just watching, you know, a couple ride a bike around a lake, ride bikes or, or sit or, in,
2: or, in bathtubs.
0: Yeah, or pick out <laughs> the perfect tomato at a farmer's market. And there's like comforting music. So here's my idea. Instead of having them listen to white jazz in a gazebo, you require the actors to actually act out. <laughs> The negative the side effects. Side effects. <laughs> so No,
2: I was remembering the bill you led to say you can't deduct those expenses for the pharma companies, which I think I was a co-sponsor of. But this is even more innovative. Yeah, I
0: mean, it's just like, you know, don't take Ubetrix if you're allergic to Ubetrix. They start with that. Allergic reactions may include projectile vomiting, um, you know. Uh, Grandma seizures. <laughs> that might mean that doctors could prescribe a cheaper drug that would do exactly the same thing, but people come to their doctor, and i I love that commercial for a betrix could you prescribe that that's a lot more expensive and we all pay for that of course okay so uh no
2: no but on pharma there okay go so on pharma yeah there's more to do on
0: pharma than my besides my brilliant actors, proposal but,
2: but it is a very good idea but Thank no so you also you know something you and i both worked on together you can get the uh drugs less expensive from safe countries like canada and that is bipartisan support. Grassley's doing that bill. You can require Medicare to negotiate, which Joe Biden made a big deal about in his State of the Union, right? When he talked about that as a major focus, because the seniors can get a good deal. And when it comes to antitrust, we're actually seeing big surprise, more and more consolidation. So EpiPen prices go up when um some generic gets off the market, there's a problem. Insulin prices go up when there's less competitors, common drugs. So all of this cries for, you know, the Antitrust enforcement, I think some changes to our antitrust laws uh, to make it easier to look backwards and go after these deals. And then, of course, pharma-specific things, which is encouraging generics, stopping pay for delay where the big pharma companies pay the generics to keep their products off the market, which is unbelievable. Which is crazy. Um, as well as these other things we discussed and the actors. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but also you – you. Uh... Mention other other stuff in, in uh, this, uh, which is, for example, they just alter what they have, like do a time release version and extend their patent, right?
2: Mm-hmm. And so make that's people right.
0: pay. And that's ridiculous. I don't know why yeah. we allow that. And, right.
2: and then you can't have more new competition. And that's a very good point. And
0: the pay for delay is just a sin. And that should just be Illegal. Mm-hmm. It's basically paying a you know a pharmaceutical company that comes out with a drug that does what your drug does, and says uh, we'll pay you not to bring it out.
2: Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's wow,
0: <laughs> and we allow that.
2: Right. Well, the Supreme Court did do one good thing that made it a little harder for them to do it, and uh, now. But uh, Senator Grassley and I still have a bill that would actually bring in millions of dollars to the federal government. Um, So it's good in that way because the federal government loses money too, of course, because they're paying for Medicare drugs and a bunch of other things. So it's the individual customers, consumers out there, but it's also the government. And so we keep trying to put it in bills. But as you know, just as you raised with tech, the pharma industry has a lot of lobbyists and people curry favor with them. And so that's why exposing all this, passing the Disclose Act, uh, which would be so important so we know who's giving big money, doing something about Citizens United, all that would be very helpful on this front. But just taking on the antitrust laws and and bolstering up these agencies, which um, I just uh, finally, after years of trying, passed through the Judiciary Committee, my bill uh, with Senator Grassley, uh, that would add over 130 million dollars uh, to FTC and the uh, Department of Justice Antitrust, so that they could do their work better. And I actually got everyone to support it. We just changed the fee structure, so the big deals have to pay more, millions of dollars more to the government.
0: Right. You got you got the whole committee. You got that.
2: I got the whole committee, and yes, even you know. Quite the group on the Judiciary Committee, as you remember. Josh Hawley is now on it. Ted Cruz. Cruz. Many people have watched this. It was a unanimous vote. Holy moly. Yep. It shows the changing territory here and the changing playing field when it comes to antitrust. And I just think it's time to make antitrust cool again, to start uh, making the case that it's everything from... Uh, You know, it's not just tech. It's everything. As we talk about pharma, online travel, 90% of the sites owned by just two companies. You've got sunglasses. Um, I think John Oliver on his show is the one that he did a whole half hour on this. And then at the very end, he said, if all this consolidation is enough to make you want to die, good luck. Because there's only three casket makers. And he shows them all on the screen. But now one has bought the other. So there's only two.
0: That's why I'm I'm going to make my own casket, because <laughs> I refuse to give in to that.
2: I bet you could find a class online. Actually, that's not funny, Al. There is someone. Okay, now wait a minute. There is a guy who's a dog musher in yeah. Grand Marais. Mm-hmm. I'm not kidding you. Okay. And he teaches a class up there, of course, on how to make wood tables. Grand Marais, Mm -hmm. as we all know from Minnesota, the tip, the 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 very tip, beautiful on Lake Superior, cool place. He is a dog musher in the winter, but the rest of the year he he teaches classes on how to make your own wood uh, table, how to make tarot cabins, and yes, how to make your own casket. So
0: okay, well that's watch. He'll be bought out by one of the two (laughs) for a half a billion dollars.
2: No, no, it's not that expensive. No, I, it's in the woodworking, you know, The they have a lot of folks. I know, but they just want to get them off. You know,
0: they can't, they can't yeah, stand no, no, the yeah, competition. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, okay, so. We kind
2: of uh, went off. It was my fault. Into No, no, it's done.
0: okay. Yeah. We do that on, yeah. on this. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a little free form on the Al Franken podcast because oh. I'm not very disciplined. <laughs> We're going to take a break for a moment. We'll be right back.
1: Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code AUDIO to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code AUDIO at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code AUDIO.
0: It was a law review article on Mm -hmm. on antitrust doctrine, and it was kind of a completely different way of looking at antitrust. What you describe what, what... what she wrote?
2: She looked, was looking a lot at Amazon, mm-hmm. and she really reframed the debate in terms of looking at them on these gateway companies and sort of making this argument that this old way of looking at antitrust, uh, which equates competition with consumer welfare, measures it through price and output, and of course gotten really ruined by the Bork theories, doesn't really capture the market power right now. And we talked already about Amazon and the argument actually, then she went over and worked in the house and they did this incredible investigation last year led by uh, Chairman Nadler and Chairman Cicilline over there in the house. And they looked at these companies, whether it's Apple when it comes to their area of business, whether it is Amazon when it comes to retail, whether it is Google when it comes to search engines, of course, Facebook with social media platforms, that they're the gateway companies, that they have so much control that you need to look at things differently. And that is, you know, she came before our commerce committee. She was incredibly um, effective in how she answered all the questions. And she just uh, has made it through the commerce committee with very few detractors and got the support of um, a lot of the major senators, because again, I never thought this would happen in this way. But the playing field shifting for some bipartisan cries for action when it comes to tech.
0: That's fabulous. Basically, what she says in her article is that you know, antitrust used to be well, our our customers are paying less. Then, then it's not. There's no antitrust. Mm-hmm. But she looks at Amazon and kind of at this monopsony. And what the effect is on other companies, and how you have to look at antitrust much differently now. And I, I just thought it was a brilliant piece, and I'm glad she's testifying. I'm glad she's being persuasive. You know, it. You you write about how this has all evolved. You write about Bork and the Chicago School, which really damaged uh, enforcement of antitrust. Talk a little bit about that. Sure.
2: So this was so antitrust is plugging along and actually had its heyday through Teddy Roosevelt and actually Taft, who was his handpicked successor, President Taft, but decided he was going to go after the monopolies big time because they were so popular. And then Woodrow Wilson. Um, And those three were at that time period. And when it came to antitrust and a lot of other things was known as a progressive era. Then we had a series of presidents um, that didn't enforce the laws as much. You've got the war, uh, uh, World War II, so that was kind of a slow time for the laws. And then you've got a heyday of the laws, and that would be the breakup of AT&T and um, the work that was going on back then. So what happens out of all of this as the, the cases are getting more and more real and cases are being brought Uh, Judge Bork at the time comes out, he writes a treatise called The Antitrust Paradox, and he argues. A way different way of looking at consumer welfare. It becomes a bible for conservative antitrust lawyers. And he basically says that people should be guided by not just traditional, oh, look out for consumers. I would go to the originalist intent myself of the Sherman Act. It was, hey, let's protect the consumers from monopolies. He starts using this new phrase called consumer welfare and expresses a view that the only legitimate goal is maximization of consumer welfare. And that sounds good, but he actually interprets it to mean corporate efficiency and monopolies. So this whole group of judges, including, by the way, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, when you look at their past decisions, certainly uh, the former justice, now deceased uh, Scalia, and certainly all of the other conservative judges, Alito and Clarence Thomas, uh, they basically endorse this theory and use it. So then you have this era where for something like 15 times plaintiffs are zero for any antitrust cases before the Supreme Court. There's an argument with what we call the Harvard School, where this Bork theory developed. Um, And so the Harvard School says, no, no, no. You should look more traditionally at consumers. So because of Reagan and other presidents, these conservative theories win. They end up dictating the law of the day Precedents are changed. Lower courts can't do anything about it, and so if our plan is just to wait, and this includes my Republican friends that want to actually do something about this, and there's a lot of them, if we're just going to wait for them to change the precedent, it's not going to happen. It maybe it'll happen in 50 years, I don't know, 60 years, but instead you got to change the laws and be more aggressive about enforcement.
0: Well, I'm I'm heartened that you're getting bipartisan support for this stuff. That's great. That is really. Uh, great, but yeah, the court is pretty uh, awful. Um, speaking of which, uh, you were pretty aggressive, I thought, in the uh, Coney Barrett uh, hearings, and I loved that you asked her. <laughs> you asked her, uh, "Do you think voter intimidation is a crime?" And <laughs> yes. she, and she, wouldn't she answer. didn't answer. No, she said, "I don't know." How is that possible?
2: Well, I don't know, because I think she did know. I think she just wanted to stay away because of Donald Trump and his friends on that committee from commenting about that, that it was clearly against federal law. But she didn't she wouldn't agree that it was. And then I brought up the statue and then, you know, whatever. But But remember what
0: I texted you,
2: by the way, just for all your listeners. Yes, Al does text me during the middle of the Supreme Court. Hearings, I don't always take it up, but it's always some interesting advice. What did okay? You so about? you
0: asked her, do you think voter intimidation is illegal? <laughs> yep, or is a crime? And she said, I don't know, which is crazy. Yeah, and that's so eighteen USC
2: five nine four. Yes, okay. Yes, so
0: I I suggested tomorrow because I didn't. Uh, I, I sent after your. Mm-hmm. You're, uh, you were finished. I wrote, tomorrow, why don't you start by saying, I'm sorry I started with such a difficult one on voter intimidation. Uh, so let me ask you this. Is this illegal? Grand theft auto. <laughs> okay. Then,
2: yes. And then I could have had all the statues down. It was actually would have been, it would have been a, a a very memorable moment. It was a very good idea. That was a good idea. I don't agree with every idea, but that one, that one was a well, good idea.
0: Because you know why? She would have had to laugh, right? She would have to good naturedly laugh, (laughs) like, oh, that's so funny because I didn't know.
2: Well, I I said I I didn't know. Okay. But it's all the more (laughs) argument that we need to change the laws because right now we are where we are. And I think that the best thing we could do, especially with the Republican interest in this right now, um, is to. First of all, get those resources in. We got to start with this bill, but we have to do more. Um, that I just got through judiciary. Secondly, change some of these standards. That, that, that's
0: the fund, lawyers. the FTC and the uh, judiciary, right? Uh, the uh, Justice Department, who enforce this stuff, right. and to give them more funding in order to do it. Exactly, it's been gutted
2: because you know, literally in just a a few days, these tech companies make more than the budget of one of these agencies. And yet they're, you know, supposed to go mano a mano in court and take each other on. And I don't think that's going to work too well unless they have resources. And then the second thing is to look at the laws. And as we talked about, look to some changes to the merger standards to make it easier. So at least for the big mega mergers that, the companies have to show that it doesn't hurt competition instead of the government and then you uh look Put the at the burden on them burden instead of the, burden the, governor, proof, the government changing, proving yeah right on the big deals and then looking backwards to look at some of this exclusionary conduct and making it easier to do that and then there's things outside of antitrust that You also were uh, were very involved in in your time, and that's things like non-compete agreements where we've now had instances where companies are pushing them on just entry-level employees, and some of that's been thrown out. But if you use those or arbitration, something you've let on. If
0: you're working at, what is it, Jimmy John's? Jimmy John's
2: was the one, yeah. And so at least like (laughs) Jimmy John's employees have to sign an agreement that they'll go and never work at, I don't know, McDonald's or something. I mean, it's. Or Subway. Subway. I mean. Okay,
0: you're signing an agreement here. Once you leave Jimmy John's, right. You can't work for Subway for eight years. (laughs) (laughs) You
2: can't. can't What a
0: dumb, like you have trade secrets. We (laughs) slice the bread this way. I mean, what the hell is that? But they do that.
2: And we heat up some of the sandwiches,
0: but not others.
2: <laughs> and the cheese melts in this fashion. Yes. Yes. And oh my you get God. chips or not, or maybe apple slices if we have them in. So anyway, but the point is, is that that those <laughs> have been, that has gotten completely out of hand. And one of the things that's cool about antitrust that people don't always think about is the effect on employees. And uh, that would be that they... only one employer to negotiate if they have a certain skill, it's a lot harder to get good wages. And it's no surprise when you go back in time, a lot of these movements came from the Midwest, a lot from Chicago, where the union movements came up at the same time as the robber barons were getting strong because they had no choices about who to work for and they were suppressing the wages. So I think more done in this area could be really helpful for creating some impetus for the laws if no one else is going to want to do it. There was a case out in in Silicon Valley, uh, where uh, the Silicon Valley companies um, led by Apple at the time, this was quite a while ago, they said, we're not going to hire each other's employees (laughs) for certain – I can't remember if it was coders or whatever. So
0: basically keeping down – the, the wage.
2: Yeah. And, and so wages. they, yes, and, and not causing, you know, problems for them. So that there was a major lawsuit on that where major fines were paid. Uh, you know, all of this stuff is, is ripe for that. And then you have things like immigration reform, not intuitive, but if you bring in um, more workers and smaller businesses are able to more easily hire people so they can get new ideas and compete, that's actually helpful. Making sure we're investing, minority owned and women owned businesses get really screwed by this current. Status of monopolies because they're new to the game. And when you're new to the game, maybe you can start out, you know, file something with the Secretary of State's office, start your business, but to really be able to grow, it's very difficult. And if you're the new people on the block, as we can see from Black-owned businesses, farmers, bankers, whatever, it becomes really hard to do. And that's why the NAACP traditionally was really involved in this. So there's a whole, as I go into in the book, there's things you could do, including privacy law, which we started with, things you can do kind of outside of traditional antitrust for competition policy.
0: Well, one thing you talk about is mandatory arbitration. Mm -hmm. That is another area where the Supreme Court has been so pro-corporate. It used to be that arbitration, I think it was. Originally, it was for business to business,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: you know, co-equals arbitrating. But now it's, it's basically employees. And also, if you're signing a contract with Comcast or something like that, in the eight pages of fine print, you sign a thing that says, if we rip you off for 30 bucks, you can't join with a million other people and get some money right
2: exactly and they're just kind of forcing you to litigate your claim in a certain area and that makes it harder to do and then that makes it harder to take on uh, non-competitive behavior and well you're you not are... even litigating it though mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're not going well you're to the... i mean you're you're uh, i guess um holding hands in an agreement um instead of litigating it yes
0: and and this is an employment contract so you can't have a class action like of Walmart employees who want to do a class action suit against Walmart or any other employer and this is very much something that the supreme court has just progressively done over and over again and this is this is as you say the most pro corporate mm-hmm. uh court in in history
2: yep and so i you know i think all of these things would be helpful to get what I call, and I do call the book antitrust, maybe in part because I thought it was a metaphor for what we're dealing with right now, even though it refers to the trusts of the Gilded Age and uh, the whole concept of law is antitrust. But I thought it was a metaphor for what's happening. And also I note that my chief rival, but actual friend from the debate stage, Pete Buttigieg, called his book Trust this fall. So I thought I'd call my book Antitrust so our rivalry would continue. Um, But Mm -hmm. Which I displayed his book next to mine on a shelf in one interview. But actually I think that we should be calling this area of law competition policy because that would, it's more what it is. It's more optimistic. It's more positive. It's about those antitrust laws, yeah, but it is also about all these other things you and I just talked about. And that more encompasses, that's what they call it in Europe, it more encompasses what we're trying to do in a capitalistic economy, which I think is a good thing. I like capitalism, but we have to have some constraints on it. We always had, from the very beginning, we had restraints on it, because people realize the early settlers of our country left England for religious freedom, yes, political freedom, yes, but also economic freedom. They hated buying everything from monopolies. And so they saw from the very beginning, we need those restraints. My argument is here we are, let's fast forward. And we're at a really low point for putting anything Together, that helps with competition policy, and so I think it's time to step back, look at it in a new way, uh, with everything we've talked about today. But also, we should call it something new, and that's competition policy.
0: Good luck with that, <laughs> because rebranding something that's been branded since the
2: ah um, uh, well, it's happened. Net neutrality. Eighteen ninety. No one heard of net neutrality. You that with that. But that wasn't rebranding. That was okay,
0: branding. That was branding. <laughs>
2: I'm going to think of something.
0: Hmm. You do bring up net neutrality. Yeah. and Of course, mm-hmm. that was a big reason to mm-hmm. oppose Comcast, uh, Time Warner Cable. Which is when a company owns 60% of high speed broadband mm-hmm. uh, and, and is Comcast was anti net neutrality. You may have a problem there. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, thank, thank goodness we've reinstated it now that uh, President Biden is there. And mm-hmm. I really liked his agenda. Mm-hmm that he laid out in the joint session. Yeah, It's almost, as I've said, it's almost as if he just said, you know what, why don't we just do all, you know, all the stuff that we know we should do that we haven't done.
2: Exactly. I guess that's kind of rebranding. It's taking, you know, coming out of an election and sort of all these traditional things. And he just put it in the context of People need this. People deserve this. Um, I think that's how we won Georgia. People had just both Senate seats. People had just had it. No one ever thought we could do it, but we said we stand on the side of people, and that means all these things that maybe you guys have been opposing forever, claiming they're radical. They're not one bit radical to help people out in the middle of a pandemic. Um, and I think there's something about how Joe Biden has presented this. Well, one, he's putting competent people who are actually getting stuff done, like getting the vaccine out to people, yep. and and that people have more so tired of the chaos in government. They don't have to go to bed every night thinking, how do I run the government? I had a kid tell me that. It's so hard every night. I think, how would I run this? (laughs) <laughs> how would I Or nor do I have to wake up or none of uh, people in politics every Saturday morning, you know, and say, OK, how do I respond to the latest mean tweet that gone after people? Instead, I can like eat breakfast and then go do something real. So I think that's all changed. But I think what surprised people is how he's taken on this aggressive agenda. And um, I think part of this is we were long overdue to finally do something about child care and finally do something about climate change. Um, and I think, he found ways to do it. Reconciliation, uh, which you know is about an archaic procedure about taxes. He used that and we use that under Senator Schumer's leadership. And others, we use that to try to take on the American Rescue Plan and get it passed. But we also had to be united with everyone from Bernie Sanders, and who played a role, major role in this, uh, to Joe Manchin. And we got that done.
0: Yeah. And again, that brings up sort of, you know, McConnell said, you know, I'm going to spend 100% of my time fighting Joe Biden's agenda. And it sounds like you got some, bi- you got real bipartisan agreement on your antitrust bill, mm-hmm. on your funding for mm-hmm. the agencies. Um, but what, this is a big question. Okay. Are, are, I spent
2: I spent my last few weeks dealing with Ted Cruz on the, for I the People that. Act. So, you know, I'm ready because I had to deal with a lot of stuff with him. <laughs> what is it? You know,
0: I've gotten a lot of mileage out of the story with you and the uh, Carnival Cruise joke.
2: Oh, yeah, that's good. We should tell that before we get to the big, hard question. Not that I'm trying to divert you at all from whatever. Well, the hard is. question
0: is simply what's going to happen? Or can can we get things done without just doing reconciliation? But uh, Okay, this, the story is... <laughs> The, you know, it's I tell so the good. story, I've told the you story tell it a to little this.
2: different than me, but you should tell you. Should but tell. OK,
0: I say this, I say this and tell me if you if this is accurate. Mm-hmm. I said that Amy wouldn't allow me to write jokes for her.
2: That's accurate. Because everyone okay. would ask me whenever I did a humor dinner, which was I was actually doing before you even got to the Senate, they would say, did Al write your joke? It was kind of like, "Like, did your mom write your paper? You know, And because, of course, <laughs> you're so accomplished at this. And they look at me like, is she really funny? Um, and so we never did that. But there was one time where one well, of <laughs> the...
0: <laughs> Every once in a while, you would say, okay, uh, th- these are the jokes I'm doing, right? Uh-huh. And I would maybe propose like a different punch or a different uh yes. Yeah, some uh, of a which different way of doing
2: I couldn't appropriately say or yes. But okay, but the story I was can say though, it though, that right? the other weird thing I did <laughs> for a good reason is I would try my I would tell my jokes to the senators who were the subject of them before the humor dinner, because I decided it wasn't worth it to whatever it was. I would just let them know that their single joke. And so you came upon this hilarious moment where I'm trying out my joke on Ted Cruz on the Senate floor to let him know. You
0: told me about this. You told me your joke.
2: Yeah. And and my joke.
0: I gave you a a better joke. Well, no, I gave you a rewrite that I knew you couldn't do, but. Uh, and then I see you going up to Schumer because you had a joke about Schumer. And I see you going yeah. up to someone else you had a joke about. And yeah. I went, oh, I know what she's doing. And then you go up to Cruise and I'm going like, oh, I want to be in on this.
2: <laughs> yes, you did. And you came right over as I'm telling my mildly funny joke about well, how at the time, you <laughs> Yeah, well, it was about Carnival cruises and and Which that were really big the at the poop time. Cruises, yeah, they had like the sewer yeah. problems. Yeah, and so I said that my joke was something like, "Hey, in this town, when you hear about a bad cruise or something like that, uh, you don't know if it's Carnival or Ted." Pretty much like that. Yeah, and I, then think, said, I I
0: actually remember what it was. It was um, <laughs> when um, uh, most people. Uh, think of a bad cruise they think of carnival but we here in the senate think of ted
2: okay that's that was better sort of a version of it right but then that was your joke yeah it was my joke but then you without missing a beat say i got a much better version of it while he's standing there and you because
0: (laughs) he was a dick about it because he was going like first of all you softened it a little bit you you said like instead of a bad cruise you went a difficult cruise. <laughs> That's,
2: right. That's right. To, <laughs> to soften it a little bit. gent. But then he did say, he did say, "I believe in the First Amendment. Do what you want."
0: First, he said, he said, instead of difficult, what if you made it challenging?
2: Okay, all right. But and I saw first... you
0: go like, okay, now it's just not funny.
2: No, but he did then say First Amendment. But then you came back with the funniest joke of all, which I didn't give because you know. Okay,
0: so I'll say okay. it because you can't say the joke. No, I
2: well, I would, but you say it because it's your joke.
0: So I said, Ted, uh, I actually did a rewrite for Amy that I think is a lot better. You want to hear it? And he goes, sure. <laughs> and I said, when most people think of a cruise that's full of shit, <laughs> they think a carnival. But we in the Senate think of Ted.
2: Okay, yeah, that's what you said, yes.
0: And then he just like, had nothing to say.
2: (laughs) He heard a laugh.
0: No, he didn't. (laughs) Okay, all
2: right. We have different (laughs) memories. But it was still it was very funny. Yeah, to us. Very, very funny. (laughs) Yeah. Right, exactly. uh, Okay. So Okay, how about my stories though? My stories of when we'd be at the airport together and people would come up and they would know who I was, right? So they would be like, hey, hey, would you take my picture with, a, with Al Franken? Because you and I would be walking. I'm like, yeah, sure. So I have their iPhone. I'm taking the picture. And my joke was that I always had this urge to put it on the selfie mode and go, you have a great picture of a senator. <laughs> but I never did. I always like it. I always... Yeah,
0: because then they'd just be mad at you.
2: No, no. I made sure <laughs> that you were in it. Well, yeah, we had so... that
0: time when we get on the plane and now, the flight that was... attendant. You had an oversized bag. Okay. And you couldn't get it.
2: Bag. It was no.
0: You had it an was. oversized bag. You did, and you couldn't get it over the the thing uh, or the bin on top. And the uh, no. flight attendant thought you were my wife.
2: Yes, because we came on together. Jovially came on the plane. And together. so
0: she said, "Mrs. Franken, um, I'll <laughs> I'll
2: help you. I'll, I'll take care. Well, of I'll
0: it. put I'll store it in the closet. Yeah. And then uh, when we told her that you were actually the other senator, the senior senator from Minnesota, not my wife. She went, okay, well, you're going to have to check it.
2: (laughs) Okay, yeah. And then she went back to get your autograph. And then there wasn't time to check it. So she left it sort of on the thing. And so on the sheet and I was getting really worried about it. And so finally um, she took it away. When the plane starts taking off, these two strangers I don't even know who are sitting by me, who had listened to the whole thing with great amusement, there was kind of the, on the runway, it, there was a little bump or something. There and was one a of big like, out, little sound like, yeah, one of them yells out, Senator, that was your luggage. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and it was perfect timing, too. That person was funny. That no, was but, th- yeah. Yes,
2: it was. But, but, but yeah, but remember she actually announced we have two celebrities on the plane, Mr. and Mrs. Franken. And it was at that moment where I'm like, no, no. And then my whole bad No, stuff it was started.
0: Senator and Mrs. Franken.
2: Oh yes. Okay. All Please. Right. But that was that was Please. a good one. Yes. We had many, many fun times. We did. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh
0: so my serious question, I, I yes. know your time is is valuable uh so it's just like can we get this stuff done uh this this stuff in in the joint session Mm -hmm. what's possible what isn't possible i mean you did have this altercation with uh, ted cruz surprise surprise in the rules committee (laughs) on s1 that can't be done through reconciliation and i know a lot of Democrats have been going like, well, this is the basis of our democracy. So it can be done with 50. But I don't think that's going to happen. Do you?
2: Um, I think that we had actually this week a really good discussion about it. Um, with a bunch of the Democratic senators, you know, Senator Tester talking about the, the crap that's gone on in Montana where they took away same-day registration where the legislature put it on the ballot. Um, Senator Baldwin of Wisconsin talking about the gerrymandering and how outrageous Terrible it is, what's happened. Wisconsin. And then, of course, the the, you know, Exhibit A, B, and C. Our Georgia with Senator Warnock giving his maiden speech on this, uh, up for election again, noting that what this is really about is that some people don't want some people to vote, where they are making it a crime to give water to people standing in line. They can't campaign already. That's fine for anyone standing in line, but you can't even give them water. Right. You've got the Florida law, uh, which made some draconian changes to drop boxes. And now you have Texas coming down the road. So. I literally think it's chairing the Rules Committee that we did get uh, the bill. We knew it would end up with a tie vote, but we had to get there so that uh, we could bring it to the floor. If we didn't have a tie vote, that wouldn't have happened. And so we were able to get that done um, with the support of some moderates like Angus King and Mark Warner on the committee. And I think our very democracy depends on this and all these other things. So, you know... Senator Manchin has indicated an interest in um, looking at some of the changes I actually want to make to the bill that are changes suggested from secretaries of state in his state and other states, a manager's amendment that everyone supported that the Republicans defeated. He's indicated an interest in the John Lewis voting rights bill. But by the Mm -hmm. way, just doing that alone. And that's uh, preclearance. That's preclearance. Very important. But you have to do really both things at once, because otherwise that's just looking to forward conduct instead of what's. Um, what's in place now with a bunch of states that require notary signatures to get the mail-in ballots or with a bunch of states that make you have to have an excuse for mail-in ballots. Some of that changed during the pandemic and now reverts back. And so that would be really difficult to get at any of that. And that's why doing both things at once is so important. And uh, we had a really good discussion. I think they he's also indicated a willingness to look at the standing filibuster, which you and I Mm -hmm. talked about. I personally would abolish the filibuster. I think it's a relic of times past. And it's really stopped us from doing anything for both Democrats and Republican constituents out there. I just said, after I got this to the floor, it's a jump ball. And there's just no way we can just pretend it didn't happen. They are literally using this right now over... 350 bills introduced in almost every state in the country. And it's not just some fake, oh, this is out there. We've got bills that have already passed and we have 29 states where one of these bills has passed at least one chamber of the legislature. And this, sadly, is a party that when they lost the presidential, they could have stepped back and said, "Okay, we got to change some of our policies. How do we reach out to voters in a different way. You know, We once were for immigration reform, all these kinds of things they could talk about. But instead, which parties do when they lose, Democrats and Republicans, but instead they double down on their policies and then said, you know what, we're just going to make it harder for some people to vote because we don't want those same people voting that voted uh, in uh, the 2020 election. So we're just going to throw out some voters and that's how we're going to win. That is not democracy
0: well they're they're the Trump party now, and that's what's sad, and that's what makes me think that it's going to be hard to pass any of this with with sixty but good luck on that <laughs> and And the question is 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 there a smaller package that can pass <laughs> with sixty?
2: There's that issue, and then there's filibuster reform of some kind, uh, especially when it comes to democracy now
0: here's here's my argument about the talking filibuster this is what i would say they have to have 41 on the floor and they have to keep 41 on the floor they they can rotate out then they have to debate they can't do green eggs and ham it has to be germane and then you'd have a debate and then the american people would love to hear a debate and see a debate and then you know and i would love to have us saying things like okay uh, you guys uh great we're gonna have a debate you take the it's a crime to give someone water in line side and I'll take the it shouldn't be a crime let's do that <laughs>
2: I mean yeah we had that uh, debate and of course not well publicized but on the committee level and I I'll say that we won um, even though we didn't win in reality because they didn't vote for it but exactly and that is the idea of the talking filibuster and that's you know, Partially, that's civil rights legislation. While well, it was a different era, a lot of that was about just being there and finally just beating them down within the debate. We're losing that right now because they play games to stop the debate. And we have to stop them from playing the games and force them to debate.
0: Yes. And, and instead of you know having that argument in the rules committee where people aren't going to be
2: watching the rules committee uh. – yeah, probably. You're probably right. Well, not a lot of people, okay.
0: You know. Um, yeah. But they will watch a debate in the Senate because there's not that much floor debate on mm-hmm. in the Senate, and then they'd have to stay there for 24 hours or 48 hours, and they're not going to do it. Is Chuck Grassley gonna go like, "Oh, I'm getting tired," you know?
2: <laughs> I thought about that actually with the day of the insurrection because that uh, because of the rules committee I was in charge of the responses to Cruz and uh, the others and Um, We actually, and it got lost in, of course, understandably, um, the violence and everything that had happened and the white supremacists and the disaster. But we had a debate that night when we swore we would go back to finish our jobs. And even before the insurrection, we had a really strong vote supporting the Electoral College. And that night when we went back there with walking through the broken glass and the spray painted walls and went back there, it was a really a discussion. And it was a lot of Republicans either saying, I, uh, I'm against this, these insurrectionists and I am for our democracy. They were going Some of them were going to say it before, of course, like Mitt Romney was already there. But some of them said they changed their minds. And it was a pretty dramatic moment. And then you had the Democrats making these incredible arguments about Um, what it feels like to be an American leader and be in a country that's struggling to keep a democracy and how we can point to our own. Jean Shaheen made that case. Or uh, or you had uh, people talking about breakdowns in their own state and and, um, Corey talking about what this has meant for African-Americans across the country. I mean, it was real debate and really heartfelt speeches. And that's what you want to see on voting, because that's actually all connected, uh, because because the insurrection, if it wasn't a wake up call before, I don't know what is. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I said on the inaugural stage, you know, this is a moment where our democracy needs to pick itself up and brush itself off and move forward. Um, and that's what I see this voting rights completely connected to. All Absolutely.
0: Of that. And people did listen to those speeches and people were watching mm-hmm. Lankford when. We he got the message, we've got to get out of here, and uh, mm-hmm. so listen, Amy, I, thank you for all,
2: oh, all this your was time.
0: Great. And um, but anyway, let's okay. say goodbye to each other, yeah. Goodbye,
2: okay. Okay, <laughs> goodbye, Al. Okay. We'll see you soon. See you soon.
0: Well, I, I hope you enjoyed uh, listening. That beautiful music is by Leo Kotke, the great Leo Kotke. I want to thank Peter Ogburn for producing. This podcast. We'll talk again next week. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.
3: where hip-hop and fables meet. It's Once Upon a Beat. Follow Once Upon a Beat on the Wondry app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Once Upon a Beat early and ad-free right now by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or Wondry Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Once Upon a Beat.
1: The early 2000s was a wild time for reality TV.